Good evening. If you have your Bible, would you be turning to the book of Psalms, verse 23 is where we will focus tonight. It is one of the more certainly well-known passages in the Old Testament, often taught to young people so that they can quote the six verses. You probably heard it more times than you could count. It is a great comfort, a source of comfort. It was then to David, it is now, that the Lord is our shepherd. It's a very intimate psalm. It's a personal psalm. It's tender, uh, demonstrating the relationship of shepherd and sheep. It should be viewed toward that end, the shepherd's care, compassion, and love for his sheep. A, a good read would be to read Psalm 22, 23, and 24 together. In Psalm 22, in verse 1, David feels forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Psalm 23, he's shepherded. In Psalm 24, the Lord is his king. Verse 20, chapter 24 and verse number 8. As you consider the psalm, it would be very easy for us to just go right into the six verses. But the, the more you look at it, hopefully, the, the more you think about shepherding and sheep. And the Bible does this where it will take a relationship and that one that we understand, that one we're very intimate with, and then it will use that as a springboard to get us to God and our relationship with Him. And so God might take the subject of marriage and then say He's married to His people. And we're the then do the work of the intimacy of marriage, the commitment of marriage, the faithfulness of marriage, and we're to take that then and move it forward to God and His relationship with us. We're to do the same thing with parenting. God is our Father. And then all of the care that's involved, the love, unconditional love, the, the, the sacrifice, and all of the things that go into parenting, you're to take that, we're to take that, and then move that to God and us as our Father. And of course, God is absolute and perfect in all of His ways, and so that should then begin us to give us some comfort and some hope and some help as we go through life. The same thing is here done with shepherds and sheep. The Hebrew people were shepherds. That's what they did. If you recall back in Genesis 47 when Joseph was prepping his father to go in and talk to Pharaoh, Jacob got before Pharaoh, Genesis 47 and verse 3, and this is what he said. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. Well, their fathers are Isaac and Abraham going backward, and we're shepherds, and they were shepherds. And so as we began to look at them, we began to appreciate what's involved in shepherding. They were successful. That's one thought about these Hebrew people as shepherds. Their fathers were successful shepherds. So successful, in fact, that Genesis 13 and the first six verses tell us this. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. These individuals then knew shepherding, they knew sheep, and they were successful at it. A second thing we learn about them and from them, their 
people, they were brave. Shepherding required bravery. In 1 Samuel 17 and verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. What is it that was moving David's courage to be so courageous to go fight Goliath? He was a shepherd, and he had already demonstrated great bravery at that work. What do we learn about David? And from these words, number one, we learn that sheep were threatened. Number two, we learn that sheep need protection. Number three, we learn shepherds' lives were at stake for rescuing the sheep. A third example of this is Jacob. Jacob, speaking to Laban, gives us insight into what it was like to work as a shepherd. In Genesis 31, beginning in verse 38 down to verse number 40, Jacob is now explaining himself and his life, his work for Laban, and he says this, these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By the day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. Five things that Jacob says to Laban. Among them are these, shepherds were not always successful. Did you hear him say that some of the flock was torn by wild beasts? Some of them were torn. Being a shepherd, number two, was constant. Jacob said, I was out there day and night. He then says that being a shepherd was uncomfortable. In the day, the heat consumed me. At night, the cold consumed me. I was there in the day. I was there in the night. I was hot. I was cold. The next thing he says is being a shepherd costs sleep. He says, I was watchful in the day and in the night. The sleep fled from my eyes. I was watchful for them. Then he said, being a shepherd, you incurred loss. He says, that which was stolen, that which was torn, you suffered. I had to suffer the loss for that. You counted it against me, and I suffered the loss. The shepherds needed a shepherd. And that's kind of what brings us to David in Psalm 23. The shepherds needed the Lord to shepherd them. David was certainly qualified to write the psalm. After all, David was a shepherd. He knows the job. He knows what's involved. But David was also a lamb. 
and he needs to be shepherded. There's two descriptions from the psalm, chapter uh, 23, verses 1 through 4, God's care as a shepherd for his sheep. Verses 4, 5, and 6, someone has suggested a host caring for a guest. There's oil, there's a cup, there's a table, there's a house. Two directions in which the psalm might be read about God to God. That is, Jesus is the good shepherd, and Jesus is the Lamb of God. The shepherd and the sheep, he and me, you will read that frequently throughout the psalm. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look at Psalm 23. The first thing that's noteworthy is the shepherd is identified. The Lord is my shepherd. Every person needs to be shepherded. The shepherd, the Lord, the sheep, mine. It's personal, it's paternal, it's possessive. He is mine and I am his. Immediately after he's identified, the conversation moves to his actions, and that's really what drives the psalm. His actions are caring and loving and beneficial to the sheep. As almost as quickly as the announcement is made, the identification made, the Lord is my shepherd, what does that mean for me? Immediately he says, I shall not want. I will have no lack. Why not? Because the Lord is my shepherd. Please keep in mind as you read these words, we aren't anymore talking about animals. David is talking about himself. And then by extension, those who would be the Lord's sheep. God being our shepherd settles the matters of life. In God, in Christ, there is no lack. He will still the mind, remove the doubt, comfort the hurting heart. He settles the mind. God's sheep have no lack. It's what's so important about knowing the shepherd, God's nature, God's character, God's word, our Lord, the church, heaven, all of these things remove doubt, grant peace. Doubt is unsettling, it's unnerving. And as you read through the Bible, it seems to be one of the things that God is constantly saying to those who are his. Joshua would say it this way, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How could Joshua be so strong and so courageous? How could he do that? Because that quote comes from chapter 24. But here are some words from chapter 1 in the book of Joshua. Chapter 1 and verse 5 of that book says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Sometimes when you're talking about things in life, people will say, past performance does not provide future benefits. You can't really rely, don't, not so with God. In fact, God uses his past performance to provide present comfort and ensure future results. Notice that he says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, what had Joshua seen? He had seen God with Moses. How did it turn out for Moses? Just fine. 
And God says to Joshua, just as I was with him, I will be with you. Use my past performance to find comfort now and to be sure you will not fail because I am going to be with you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verses 2 and verse number 3, the shepherd's provisions. He continues, why will I not want? How will that be measured out? Notice he says, and you'll note, he makes me. He does these things. The things that are described are done by the shepherd. And the shepherd is the one who provides these things for his sheep. What does he do? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. As you read those words and just think about, these are things the shepherd provides for the sheep. To lie down in green pastures would, would, would have the idea of sustenance being provided, maybe rest being provided. I shall not want for rest. I shall not want for sustenance because he's going to make me lie down in green pastures. I will not lack for thirst. I will not lack for food because he's going to lead me beside still waters. There will be peace in my life. Again, go through the scriptures and see if that's not what God is doing repeatedly with his children, both Old Testament and New Testament. Listen to a few words from Jesus. You have your Bibles. Look at Matthew chapter 6. In his first address to those who would be his, in Matthew chapter 6, he, he, he comforts them. He, he will make them to lie down in green pastures. He will lead them beside still waters. He will restore their soul. Matthew 6 and verse 25, Jesus says, For this reason I say unto you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body what you will put on is not life more than food and body more than raiment. Verse 27, he says, And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Verse 28, And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, do they spin? In verse 31, he says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has its own trouble of its own. What would all of that be doing? Well, he'll make me lie down in green pastures. He'll lead me beside still waters. He'll restore my soul. Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You will note that last phrase, it is for his name's sake. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, or 22 rather, down to verse 25, Paul talks about justification. He talks about it being that which points us to God's righteousness. He says in Romans 3 and verse 22, even the righteousness is of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse number four, the shepherd's protection and his presence. Even though, King James, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I suppose all of this is being added upon the previous truths, and because of those truths, the Lord is my shepherd is the announcement. Immediately, I have no lack. And then he makes me, he makes me, he leads me, he restores me, he guides me. And even though then I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? For you are with me. Someone has observed he walks through the valley. He doesn't stop in the valley. He doesn't sit. He doesn't sulk. He doesn't quit. While we would acknowledge that the valley is real, we might even say the valley is a problem, but the valley is not where he stops. He walks through the valley. How does he walk through the valley? Without fear. Why won't he be afraid? Because the Lord is my shepherd and because you are with me. It's a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a walk without fear because you are with me. I don't know where I read it. I'd give credit to whom it is due, but someone I believe has well said, where there is light, there must be a shadow. Where there is a shadow, there must be light. There is no shadow without light, no light without shadow. Like a moonlit night, dark and light can be sensed at the same time. Here we are in the valley of a shadow. That means there's light. Who is the light? That's Jesus. The shepherd is comforted through the valley because there's light in the valley. There's light because you are with me. After all, one of the promises is, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Inside of that valley and walking through it, he says something else. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There is instruction. There is correction. Sometimes we hear the word discipline, and we almost always instinctively think negatively. It's not necessarily a negative thing at all. Hebrews 12, 9, whom the Lord loved, he chastens. Deuteronomy 10, 13, this law was given for your good. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3, God is the God of all comfort. What is it that's comforting? The rod that corrects is the staff that comforts. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Where? Through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because you're with me. Can't help but think of the Apostle Paul writing from a Philippian jail saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Can't help but Paul thinking about him in Acts 16, 25, singing and praying around midnight. Why? Because you are with me. Are you comforted? Yes, because the Lord is with me. Verse number five, the shepherd's power. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Enemies actually can be enemies, but they pose no threat. Because you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There is a place of calm, the sense of eating, repose, enjoyment. Where? In the presence of mine enemies. Why? Because you are with me. In Hebrews 13 and verse number 6, and we keep talking about the persecution that the saints were going through. As you're reading through your New Testament, notice what the writers keep saying to them. 
We read or heard this morning in Bible class over the last two weeks in studying 1 Peter. If you haven't been here, we'd encourage you to come. It's a great class and all the Bible classes for that matter. But Peter is talking about a fiery trial as well. And what's he doing? He keeps holding out hope. What's he doing? He keeps turning them to God. Same thing Paul does. Same thing here. Same thing the Hebrew writer does in Hebrews 13 and verse number 6. Right after that passage that says, I will never leave you or forsake you, the writer says, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Think about that as you read all the way through the Bible. There's Joseph, Moses, Esther, Where do we find God's people so often in the presence of their enemies? What are they doing at ease and calm and repose? Oh, I suppose you could argue they don't want to be there. They would rather not. But every time we find them, they are as bold as a lion. Joseph and Moses and Esther and David and Daniel and Peter and Paul and John and our Lord standing before Pilate. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. You could get interested in sheep and shepherding and read some good books on it, and you could hear the individuals talk about how the sheep or the shepherds would bring the sheep in every night and run their fingers through their wool and and anoint them and make sure they're— that's kind of the—he takes care of them provides for them, cares for them. It's intimate, and it's close. and it's, that, that imagery there in 2 Samuel 12, where that little ewe lamb is nourished up and cherished and brought, that's the idea. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. There's a, a thriving, not just surviving. Those same people we just talked about, look at the stations in life they excel to. Joseph is second in command in Egypt. And you just work your way through. David becomes the king, and Daniel ascends the height. These individuals weren't just barely meagerly getting by. God was their shepherd. They were thriving. My cup overflows. I will not want. I will not fear. In verse number 6, there is this temporal and eternal relationship. I will dwell. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's often this way as you read relationship with God and His people. There is a temporary time in which here in life on earth is connected and communed with God, and then there's a look of future glory to be with God, and both are the abundant life. It begins here and extends onward. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Doesn't mean everything will be good. No, doesn't mean everybody will treat me well. No, but the shepherd will. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. From the sheep's perspective, we would read a lot of I throughout these six verses. Verse number one, I shall not want, I'm content. Verse number two, I lie down, I'm at peace. Verse number three, I am quiet or still, I'm at ease. 
Verse number four, I'm fragile, but I'm safe. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will die. I understand that, but I'm with the shepherd. And as a result of that, I have no fear. There is faith, and there is courage, and there is conviction. Time we have remaining, let's make some quick application for I think you could take the words here and easily transition them to our Lord, who of all of the things he has called and described, he is described as a shepherd. Hebrews 13 and verse number 20, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, 1 Peter 2 and verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Revelation 7 and verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You take the imagery of a shepherd, and we read about Jacob and David and Abraham, individuals who were shepherds. The Hebrews knew what it was like to be one, and the intimacy and all of the hard work that went into that. And then you transpose that to Jesus, the absolute perfect shepherd. He self-describes in John chapter 10 and verse 11 with these words, I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired, a hired hand and not a shepherd, does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Take that, run it over to Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. One body reconciled both under God. I'm the good shepherd. There will only be one flock. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I might take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it again. This is the commandment I received from my Father. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the perfect shepherd. Every human shepherd, regardless of quality, had faults. Abraham lied. Jacob deceived. David committed adultery and murder. Every person needs the chief shepherd. Every person, every soul needs the good shepherd. He is called the shepherd and overseer of souls. When you say, the Lord is my shepherd, oh, may it be so that this Lord Jesus is the shepherd of your soul. Jesus, secondly, knows his sheep. He is the all-knowing shepherd. Every human shepherd is ignorant of something. 
Human shepherds could only know, they could know how many sheep they had. In fact, Luke 15 springs to mind. Which of you, if he had a hundred sheep, I suppose if you had a hundred, you could count them all. Maybe you could even name them and you could then care for them and watch them. I suppose on some level, a flock could get too big for one man to know all of that. But even then, let's give him the best he can. He knows his sheep. Question. Let's say you have a hundred sheep and you know them all and you know them by name. How many hairs are on each one? That's how our shepherd knows us. The Lord knows the number of hairs on each person's head. His knowledge of his sheep is intimate and infinite. There's no confusion between the sheep and the goats. The Lord knows them that are his, Nahum 1.7. In one book on the subject I read, an author talked about how the shepherds have a particular call for their flock and that sometimes you could see at roads intersecting, hundreds of sheep intermingling with each shepherd giving a particular call. And as they walked, each sheep hearing the call would go and gravitate to their particular shepherd. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. We listen to the voice of the shepherd. Jesus is the sacrificial shepherd. That's what makes him good. Jacob lost sleep. Jacob was in the cold and in the heat, he said. Shepherds would sacrifice their time, their energy, their resources. Some have even died, I've read, were fighting for their sheep. Our shepherd sacrificed his life. He says in John 10, 17, and 18, so that we're clear, he didn't go out and fight a wild animal and lose. That could happen to a shepherd. Some of them were stolen and others killed. That's what Jacob said. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Our Lord, our shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep. He could have called 10,000 angels. So intimate, so loving, for his sheep. He is the all-powerful shepherd. His sheep need not fear. He is able to protect, to provide, and to deliver. And when it comes to the subject of death, our shepherd died and rose so that we would never again fear death. He conquered it, the Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. He is the light in the darkness of death. Jesus provides the spiritual life for his sheep. We have no want. He is both water and bread, John 4, John 6. Jesus gives peace to his sheep. He removes our sins. He removes our shame. He removes our guilt. And no matter what happens in our lives, there is a song we sing that is always appropriate for God's children. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well 
with my soul. The song goes on, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give it. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Philippians 4, then Paul exhorted, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There have been some magnificent people in the world. There have been some people who have done amazing things in the world. In fact, if you want to see some amazing things, you just open your Bible and start reading. Among the faithful are words penned in Hebrews chapter 11 that demonstrates individuals who were committed to God and God was their shepherd. The Bible says of them, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in dens and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And as great as these people were, and the wonder of all of their actions, there was not one of them who did not need Jesus to be the shepherd of their soul. Only Jesus can safely shepherd a soul out of sin, through this world, and into heaven. Make the Lord your shepherd before you enter the valley of the shadow of and if he is your shepherd, why don't you go back, read the psalm again, and make sure that what David says he is receiving from the shepherd, that's what you're holding on to with Jesus. The Lord is your shepherd. And may you and I continue, continue to be thankful grateful, and respond in kind to his goodness. If you're not a Christian tonight, we encourage you to become one. You have a soul. It needs shepherding. And Jesus is the only one who can. Would you believe that he's the son of God? Would you repent, change your heart, your mind? Would you confess the name of Jesus? Would you be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and let God through Jesus save you from your sins? shepherd your soul in this world and on into eternity. If you are his child, what a blessing is ours.
to have the Lord as our shepherd. We can help you in any way. If you have any need that we can assist, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.